0: Hello and welcome to pre I'm Sophia. In this podcast, I try to reveal as much about the publishing process as I can to new writers. Holly Tonks has seen it all. She has worked in a literary agency, edited books in large publishing houses and a small indie, and she is now a lecturer in publishing at Bath Spa University. Holly wants both aspiring editors and new writers to understand the process as clearly as possible. We talk about writing with an awareness of the market, the picture book process, Holly's speciality as an editor, and what exactly it is an editor does, beyond commissioning books and working on track changes. I love it when she says, writing is not something you can either do or not do. It doesn't come instantly to most people, but it's something you can work at, like any other career, and as she adds, you will find your place. We recorded this episode in November 2020 i hope you enjoy our conversation holly hello and welcome to prepublished hi thank you so much for having me i wanted to get you to talk on prepublished because you've already um, presented to um, students of mine uh, at city uni and and explained to us what goes on behind the scenes for us anyway um, in a publishing company what, what an editor does and i want to come to that but um I got to know you um, as the editor of my book, The Bigger Picture, at Tate Publishing, but now you are teaching at Bath Spa University, aren't you? And I'm really interested to know about the the courses that you're teaching on and and how they're set up. So do tell us about that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I joined Bath Spa in January this year after working um, for about 10 years in industry as um, a picture book uh, commissioning editor. Um and so I'm I'm still doing some um, commissioning and working on picture books alongside my role. Um, but at Bath I'm a lecturer in publishing, specialising in children's publishing. Um, and I work across the undergraduate program, which is um, a publishing degree that is um it's a joint publishing degree with other subjects, so creative writing, English. Um, we have a lovely um single honors degree in journalism and publishing. Um, and it's one of the only um degrees in the UK that is focused on publishing and it's got a really lovely studio-based creative project feel. So what we do is make sure that the students have live hands-on industry experience and making sure that they're equipped with the skills that they need to enter into um, a media career, be that publishing or into the kind of wider media career. Um, And then the other half of my job is that I work on the only um, MA in the world um, that is focused on children's publishing specifically, wow. um, which is a fantastic, um, fantastic course. Yeah. And I just love it. Um, and again, it's all project-based. So um, at the moment, we're looking at um, how you acquire, how you build strategy, how you balance backlist and frontlist in a, in a children's publisher. Um, and my students are sort of coming up with um, acquisitions and ideas and starting to develop those and think about their publication strategies that's amazing and so
0: um i did i wasn't aware that that anyone was was teaching people how to how to get into publishing as opposed to how to get into writing um and i'm fascinated because i'm sure that a lot of people who are who are creative writers also are really interested in the publishing world so it's it's good to know that that's available um absolutely and but and you also teach creative writers at bath as well
1: Yes. So I am at the moment, um, I'm the module coordinator for a module that sits across um, into the creative writing department, which is looking at exactly, as you said, um, helping writers to gain an understanding of the publishing industry, the role of the writer within the publishing industry, because I think it's one of those things that we we don't talk about enough, is that we are, um, you know, we're, we're all part of the same company and the writer is very much a part of that. They may not be sat... In the office with yep. us, but they're certainly, um, you know, a key part in producing the the book, they are the, the kind of very heart of it. Um, so I've, I've always felt that it's really important for creative writing students and writers to have a firm understanding of the industry that they're going into, how it works. Um, you know, I think having those business savvy skills. Um, is one of the things that kind of one of the things that adds to your recipe for success as a writer. I didn't
0: have that at all when I was starting out, and not a clue. Everything I was told was complete news to me, and it was all very counterintuitive. Um, and it can be very lonely and scary at times when, I don't know, when something doesn't happen for six weeks, let's say. And actually, if you knew what was going on behind the scenes, you would know that a lot of people were working very hard on your work. But um, but you'd sort of slip back into the schedule later um, and not not to understand what everybody else on the team is doing is 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 pretty Pretty tough. So it's lovely to know that that now um, courses are starting to incorporate that as well. I think, and also to, to teach the creative writers that they've got some of those sort of self-editing professional skills that they really need to be publishable. Yeah.
1: Definitely, and I think it, you know it's looking at all of those um, elements. You know, yourself as the writer, as editor of your own work. Um you know this the kind of stages that you go through um as a writer when you're you know going through the dirty draft which you and I' have talked about yeah. before um and getting it ready to be seen by a publisher and you know how you submit and and what a publisher kind of expects from you um I think one of the key things that we we're trying to focus on is the relationship between the editor and the author um I think as you you said it's it's a very lonely role sometimes as a writer, and you do feel disconnected someone picks up your book. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement and um, praise at the beginning. And then suddenly it goes very, very quiet yeah. Um, yeah. as everyone in their different department goes off doing things. And I think it is really the role of the editor. You know, they're your internal um, representative within the company. They're your voice as the author within the company. And it is for the, you know, the editor and author to work really closely together to make sure that there is an understanding um, of the process and how it's working um and you know and when you know what points you're going to come back into that process and when you're going to see it again and 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 what's needed from you and and certainly, you know, I think there's a lot of anxiety around publishing. Um, and I think that is due to the kind of lack of transparency sometimes. Um, so we're trying to kind of dispel a lot of that um, and, and create kind of um, really savvy writers who who know the industry very well, know where they're, you know, aiming for and know where they fit within this industry in the UK. Um, but, you know, we talk about the
0: elevator pitch a lot when we're, we're talking mm-hmm. to, to new writers. Um, do you... Do you sort of try teach that kind of side of it in, or, or address it in the the courses that you're you're doing with creative writers, how to think commercially about what uh, you're doing?
1: Absolutely. I think we're constantly looking at the the balance, as you said, there between creativity and commerciality. You know, we you know we're well aware that you know what you're writing is um, you know needs to be um, kind of authentic and needs to come from a place of uh, you know creativity. Um, But it's that difference between who are you writing for? And I think this is what it comes back to and what the shared um, kind of goal is in in both the publishing degree that I teach on and the creative writing degree is who are you writing for? Who is the audience? Who have you got in mind? Mm -hmm. Are you writing for yourself or are you writing to share this? Are you writing for, a, you know, a particular person in your mind's eye? And that's what we mean by commercial, you know, it's, it's not necessarily thinking, um, you know, mass market, supermarket style. It's thinking, OK, who is the reader of this? Who do I want to share this with? How do I want to publish this? How do I reach those people? Um, and, and having a real clear goal of what you want to do with your writing. And I think that's, you know, that's the thing I want to instill in creative writing students from the very start is when you set out with a piece of writing, what is your goal with it? You know what? And and sometimes it's absolutely fine and it's okay that you might just want to write it for yourself and it's just a kind of expression. And that might one day find itself, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of being picked up somewhere. But it's also not um, a negative thing to think about your writing as a, you know, as a product and think about your writing and how you can reach a particular audience or how you can convey a particular message to a a demographic somehow um, in a commercial sense. Um, And I think one of my previous bosses, an editorial director I worked for said, you know, you always knew you had a problem if when you came to write down the line that you wanted to say to sales so the unique sales pitch yeah if i couldn't do that if it took you a long time to do that as the editor there was a problem with the book and there was a problem with the story and you know nowadays you're competing in such a busy environment you're you know you're competing in for attention across you know the the hundreds of thousands of books being published I mean, even more this October uh, at Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit crazy. (laughs) Something else, hasn't it? But um, you know, you're competing to be heard. So if you can't be heard quickly and concisely, and people know exactly what you're meaning and saying, and what this, what the very essence of this book is, people don't often have the time now, um, sadly, to kind of to browse in the same way that maybe they once did.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, In terms of um, going back to what what you were saying about um, understanding your readership, I mean, I might be interpreting this too literally, but when I was writing the first book in my series, I was very clear that I was writing it for people who love the golden age of crime fiction and who may or may not be interested in the royal family, but are probably interested in history and... um, my mother is certainly one of them, and um and me too and they they like to read serious fiction, the people that I had in mind anyway um once they love a writer, they want to read a lot of those books, and they don't like them to be too expensive, so that they can just you know devour them back to back, get them out of libraries um, and and so i I did feel that i if I was going to self-publish it, which I was thinking about doing, I had a very clear marketing strategy in mind, but also it helped me think about the the plot. I didn't want it to be a very long, thick book. I wanted it to be one that could be sort of devoured in a couple of sittings. And yeah, it just, it helped focus me a lot. Absolutely.
1: It helps you decide how it's going to be read, how you're going to present it, how you want it to be enjoyed. You know, the art of publishing is to make public, is to share to yeah. to kind of to bring someone else into that world. And so you have to think about that person in the creation of the writing that you're doing. You know, it's it's wonderful to hear you say that you had such a clear idea um, of who, who it was, you know, what this person would get out of your book and what they loved about it before you even sat down to put pen to paper. Um, you had that that the the end user, the end um kind of enjoyment in your mind's eye. And yeah. I think that's so important, um, as, you know, when you're publishing your work in this, in this sense. I, yeah, I mean, I think it,
0: it's a really tough ask of a new writer. Um, to have that so clearly. And a lot of the writing process, I think, that I've been talking to with other people in the podcast is about is about finding that, finding it slowly, finding it gently, finding it yeah. through writing At reading yeah. a lot and, of course, through your own writing process. And it can take years to do. But I, I certainly feel that once you're really getting towards the end of that process and you've got something and you've worked on it and you've worked out what it is, um, that if if people are trying to help you... F- work out your readership for it and and tweak it for them um that's when i think it's quite helpful not to think oh but it is my soul i cannot change it (laughs) and to think oh okay so if i did this tweak then then maybe it can reach thousands of people instead of three people yeah Um, and to have that open-mindedness as long as you trust the people that you're talking to
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if you do take that that step and you want to publish your book and you want to work with a publisher and an editor, I think you have to go into that open-mindedly. You have to go into that because you respect that publisher, that you, you know, you you like their list, you you think you can work with that editor. You know, you and I have talked previously about how important that relationship is with the editor and author and, and you know, you have to be on the same wavelength for the book, Um and then there is an element of trust there really has to be an element of trust yeah. that you you know that you that you know where you need to kind of give and you know where you need to say okay yep they they you know they've got a really good point here they've articulated their point well i trust them that this is the right thing to do and there are some things that you won't feel are the right thing to do and that you feel you know you know instinctively that is not the right thing to do and it's you know it's always a conversation between the editor and author never feel that what is being said is being dictated to you. It's, it yes. should always yes. be a conversation. Absolutely. It can um, feel like
0: it's being dictated just because, you know, we're at home sitting in our bedrooms. Of course, now you are as well, but it used yeah. to be that everybody, you know, that the diktat came from somebody sitting in a big fancy office and they would say, do this. And you would think, oh, I'm being told to do this. But as you say you kind of not you it is being suggested as a, a part of a partnership and it's it's good to
1: have that that understanding absolutely absolutely and again it's all to do with that end product you know we stripping it down really coldly we we create products they're fantastic products that come from the very essence of what it means to be human and our creativity and that's fantastic and we have a real you know um honor to be able to to work in that way but they are products, and we, you know, we do sell them. We sell them for, you know, for money and their entertainment pieces, and um, or you know, kind of knowledge and furthering knowledge and understanding. Um, and it it is important, I think, to never lose sight. I, I you know, sort of repeating myself here, but never to lose sight of who you're trying to reach and and who why you're doing this. Um, and that's one of the things that you know we we always always on the course start with audience. Um, and I think, like you said, as a new writer, you, you explore and you find yourself and it is something you have to practice. That's the other thing to say. Writing isn't something that you can do or not do. Um, I think many students sometimes come under the kind of the, the thought that they need to turn up and, and get it right immediately. Um, because you either are a writer or you're not. Yes. Yes. Um, and actually it takes, it, it's like anything else. It's like any other career you will practice and you will train and you'll try different um, mediums and you'll try different methods. And yes, some things work for you, some things don't work for you. You'll change genre. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's, it's the same as any other career path that, you know, you undertake. You know, I've worked at big, um, you know, conglomerate publishing houses. I've worked at tiny independent houses. I'm now working in a university, you know. My career has been, you know, very eclectic in the different yeah. types of work I've done. Um, and that's the same for a writer, I feel. And I am glad you're talking about your career because you
0: have done various things, have I mean, you? worked in an agency to start with, is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah, so I started off my career um with Hilary Delamere at the agency, um, working on her I was her assistant there, um, looking after authors like Michael Bond and Mallory Blackman, um, and illustrators like Raymond Briggs, which was I mean, you couldn't ask for a better start to yes. your career in the industry really. And I learned so, so much. Um, the wonderful thing about an agent is that they are across all areas of publishing you know they're, yes. they're working very very closely with the author you know they see the manuscript long before anyone else they're often the first people to ever see it along with family and friends um and then you you're working with marketing you're working with sales you're working with rights so it was a wonderful kind of um entry into the industry um and then from there i went to penguin random house um, i actually joined the day that penguin merged. With Random House, oh, did you? Um, wow. That it was announced, so that was a pretty monumental day. But I, I joined Penguin in their um, media and entertainment team, looking after brands. Um, so Peppa Pig was our our biggest brand at the time, um, and then I moved on to classics. One of my favourite trivia facts is that
0: David Tennant's wife is Mama, M- Mama yeah, Pig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love yeah, that yeah, so much. <laughs>
1: No it's a, such a fantastic i mean i love um i love all facets of children's publishing and i don't believe in snobbery in literature and and brands for me and brand publishing um you know i can remember talking again to a, a kind of very influential um editor director and her saying i don't care what children read as long as they read and i yes. think that's that's so important you know you you won't you can't open the gate directly into Treasure Island and Black Beauty and um, Lord of the Rings you know you have to have stepping stones and you have to capture people's imaginations and the best way to do that is by capturing their passion and if you know if your three-year-old is currently very very passionate about Peppa Pig as many of them are (laughs) Yep. <laughs> it's a great it's a great way in. Um and I and I firmly, you know, firmly believe that. So yeah, I then went uh I was then working on classic brands, so Peter Rabbit, um, Hungry Caterpillar, looking at how we reinvent the brand, how we keep the brand alive, um, which again is such a big part of children's publishing. And then I went to Tate, which is where you and I work together. Yes. Um and I happy. it was yeah, a fantastic I headed up the children's list at Tate, so I don't know how many of your listeners will know but um the galleries do have their own publishing arm um and an element of their publishing arm is is a children's list that specializes in high quality um color publishing so picture books and non-fiction um that have a focus on art um either being through the illustration style or the subject matter itself um, and that was just yeah, I mean again, kind of a dream job for anyone. Um, being you know let run loose um with this list and working. I worked with David Hockney. Um, we yeah, worked. I was quite
0: jealous about that.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, a, a moment I'll never forget. I was thinking about it the other day. Um, the illustrator who did the David Hockney book Rose Blake. Um, we had the opening, and and I remember her going over to talk to Robbie Williams. Um, who had come to the, the talk and she, you know, gave him a book for his children. So it was just, yeah, kind of surreal experience. Um, and then the book that you and I worked on, I mean, that was a true privilege to be able to speak to some of those female um, artists who are just, you know, the, the very epitome of, of kind of what it means to be, a, a you know, a successful artist and in art in the, in the UK and globally as well.
0: The Bigger Picture um, was was really your idea wasn't it holly I, I came to you with with a pitch about a book about matisse's snail which still hasn't been published i'm so really sad about that <laughs> and and you said oh, okay but but there's this other project which is writing about women artists and i kind of begged you to let me write it because <laughs> i wanted it so Not bad and like, i
1: think i begged you to to well, take it on it was a real undertaking so yeah we we'd had um so we have a series at Tate um, that was called Meet the Artist, um, where we'd been, um, you know, kind of working our way through some of the big artists that had had exhibitions. Um, and we really started to talk about the fact that, the, the, you know, some of the exhibitions, a lot, we went through a run of having quite a few um, white male exhibitions, which, you know, are fantastic, but we were missing a little bit of um, kind of diversity, really. And Just we, bit, yes. you know, we thought about, okay, well, you know, how do we kind of take this into our own hands? And well, let's do let's do a proper book that explores the the key women in the art, the you know, the twentieth century art world, um, and look at you know, look at what they've done and look at their different the different mediums. Um, and we wanted to do this using you know, takes USP is that we've got direct contact to these artists. Um, so we wanted to do this by, you know, having interviews and actually speaking to the women themselves, um, though, you know, those that were living, um, but it was a massive undertaking. You know, we're talking about, um, artists from all over the globe, from every continent working in photography, sculpture, painting, you know, everything, um, and looking for a writer who was willing to, and was interested in researching, all of those artists um in a really really tight time frame as well um was yeah so when when you and I met and you know we we talked about your passion for fine art um and your knowledge of the art world um you and I both share the same passion um, and the same area of um uh art expertise don't we in, in the pre-raphaelites um yeah which was a you know a, Quite distinct area, but um, you know, to meet someone who who kind of had that that passion and also knew how to write for young people, um, because we were constantly coming up against that at, at Tate. You know, you had these fantastic, um, best you know top minds in the business who who knew all about art and and kind of how art is made and and the messages behind it, but not necessarily natural at talking to young people or communicating. Um, these thoughts and ideas to young people so that's what I was really looking for Um, and then we had the the luck to meet each other and I I thought all my Christmases had come at once (laughs) well it was it was fantastic for me it was
0: one of the sort of hardest working summers that I've had (laughs) although it was nothing compared with what you were doing which I I do want to talk to you about because I just think it's really interesting to see how a book like that is is put together Um, and I mean, in a way, I was kind of a writer for hire on that because you'd already decided what you wanted to do. But I mm. I I was, I had to find the voice to reach these young people and I had to work out the best way of describing the life and work of Georgia O'Keeffe, who, you know, lived till she was 100, in yes. 400 words, <laughs> which Absolutely. was interesting. Um, and I would come up with other ideas like, well there's there's a huge history of craft and, and and women in the applied arts and we should we should really address that. And mm. women who've the reason that, that women artists are being recognized more is is largely down to female curators who came along in the 20th century and female gallerists and we should talk about them and and you were really up for those ideas. So the partnership sort of thing we were talking about earlier, it's hard to describe when you're just talking about, you know, somebody's novel, but this this a different project really brought to light how how an editor can bring ideas and a writer can bring ideas and, and we can kind of yes trust each other and work together Absolutely. on them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a completely collaborative, you know, the the a project like that was was a kind of completely collaborative experience, you know. Yeah. We we had the idea of what we wanted to do. We had the the kind of the the access to what we wanted to do. And then it was about finding somebody who had the, the voice and passion to make that happen. And then when, you know, when you and I work together, it's really important that all your ideas and all your personality and your thoughts on it come to the foreground. Um, because until then, it's sort of, it's a it's a sketch. You know, I always like to compare my, making my books into the same way that we talk about how we make artwork. You know, at the beginning, yeah. it's a kind of black and white pencil sketch. And then you brought the words um you know we bought the idea we bought the content we bought the notion and that's the color and then you add your voice and that's the texture and that's the bit that people really engage with um you know and then the illustrations on top of that like it's, well, it's I mean, a that, that was process. so
0: interesting. I mean, because, of course, it wasn't just just us. Um, no. It was Manjeet Thap, who, I mean, who was hired before me, quite rightly, because her illustrations were so important. And she's sickeningly young and talented, and that was all very <laughs> annoying. Um, and I was, I mean, because I, so many of the writers I work with are interested in doing picture books, and although this was written for uh, sort of early teens, really, I guess, although it kind of spans across age ranges, mm. um, but it still is a picture book very much. And, and so Manjeet's sort of illustrative voice and her style was hugely important. Mm. And so yes, people ask, you know, how do you work with an illustrator? Should I find an illustrator before I submit my, my text to agents? And I, I always say, please don't, <laughs> unless yeah. you're married to them, or, 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 you know, something really, um, you've already got a close partnership, don't because publishers love, to do that yeah, so you already absolutely. had manjeet on board and i didn't meet her until after the book was published and we we did a couple of events together and you were the conduit between the two of us which is yeah. completely normal in publishing but it went it was so lovely that i would send the text to you for an artist and you would pass it along to manjeet and then i we would see what she was coming up with and there would be a, a phrase that she had really taken on board and she'd illustrated that particular phrase like if I was talking about Barbara Hepworth I would say that she'd love to create sculptures that you could you could see the landscape through them mm-hmm. and she had specifically done an illustration of exactly that and it was very very exciting and and interesting to see that it was an organic process so she might do something that would when it came back I would change what I'd written slightly so that it would incorporate something that she had done absolutely and I, I I gather this is how picture books generally work definitely um, which is yeah. something we we don't of you know as, as as writers um we don't we don't see that and we don't really understand it until we're till we're in the middle of it
1: no it's it's like you said um earlier in the sense of that you you have to give space for your you know when you pass a manuscript on to the editor in the publishing house there has to be space for change and adaptation um that that's the same with illustration possibly even more so um you know the the beauty of uh illustrated publishing is the textual it was the interplay between text and visual um the fun you can have the the way you can help people understand and navigate a story or in our case with the bigger picture you know quite dense information um you can you don't have to just rely on text you can rely on illustrations too and of you know the fantastic the best illustrators in the world you know read text and they envisage it in picture and then they then bring that they know where to to kind of add that they know where to enhance where to add light and shade um and where you know i think the, the the relationships that i've worked on um that work the best are when an author is willing to step back and let an illustrator say something and vice versa, you know, where it yeah. really becomes a collaborative team effort, not, um, you know, not that you have the text first of all, and then you add the illustrator and then there's no change after that or no amends that are happening after that.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's really good if somebody's thinking about perhaps writing a picture book, have a look at a couple of really good ones and particularly yeah. funny ones, I would say, and see how much of what they love about them is is in the pictures, is is when the writing steps yeah. back and lets the picture do the talking. Um, yeah. And it can be a really wonderful thing, something that can happen, I guess, serendipitously if, if the illustrator thinks of something. But also, if you think of it as the writer, you can just put in, why doesn't this sort of happen yeah, here and absolutely. let them do their thing
1: absolutely I mean a really good example of that is a book called um The Runaway Pete" by Jarton Poskett and Alex Wilmore mm-hmm. um again that was you know a text that was acquired at Simon and Schuster um uh by Jarton and then Alex was paired to it but then the two worked really well together and there were bits that um you know Alex would bring really you know hilarious funny additions that Alex would bring and and Jarton would be either willing to kind of change a bit here or you know or write something that that really suited Alex's um you know style so they both knew that it was a process that had to change and evolve throughout it wasn't that one had Finished their work and now it was yes. over to the yes. other one. I think yes. that's that's the important thing to say is it's it's a live project for all of us all the way through to to the day it's you know sent off to print.
0: And the bigger picture had the added complexity um, that. We needed permission from all the people who were mentioned <laughs> in it, living or dead, yeah. um, when it was their estate. So I say we. You did. So yeah. I had to write something that wasn't going to annoy them so much they wouldn't let it be published, and you had to very politely ask if they were okay with it. And you, so you were dealing with me and Manjeet, and then there was the production designer who who taught me about the the different ways that colour is laid on and and how important that is in thinking about illustration which i hadn't realised at all yeah. and you were dealing with the with the artisan it just brought home to me the the um the schedule that you must have had to deal with to make sure that everything happened in the right order <laughs> was astonishing and as you say it was a really tight timescale but it is something i guess that every editor is always doing you were just doing it in a quite an extreme way um comes back to what I was saying earlier is that that as a writer I think you know one tends to assume well I've given you the book (laughs) I've done the copy edits what else is there um and and what uh what actually else there is is a whole bunch of stuff that we're not really fully aware of um that the editor's on top of
1: yeah I mean so the editor the role of the editor within a publishing house is very much um the kind of the conduit to all the different departments so you know if if marketing needs something, if sales needs something, um if design needs something, it generally all goes through the editor as the kind of project manager of of a project. so um we you know possibly biasedly say, but you know we often talk about it like we're we're constantly spinning all the plates, and all the plates have to go in the right order because one needs the other, you know, like marketing can't start their campaign until design have got a cover design can't start the cover until you've got the cover title, the cover copy signed off with sales, you know, and, and so all the orders and the plates have to spin at the same time. And I think um, the bigger picture is is a kind of um, a great example because not only did we have the general usual publishing process, we had on top of that all the artistic permissions of using the photographs, photo reproduction um we were writing about people and we were drawing people themselves so you've got the likeness permission that you have to to get um and we had obviously the gallery's reputation to think about we you know we weren't doing yeah. this as an independent publisher we were doing this with the name of the Tate gallery and the brand of the Tate gallery so um and we did it in i can't even think what it was but it was it was certainly around 6 months i or or less that we managed yeah, to I think do it this was less. All in. yes um so it was a kind of it, it was a kind of um amplified version of of the process um but yeah it, I mean it's thrilling I mean I would never um I I, I say time and time again I, I have the dream job you know it really is I love that role um I love the editorial position I love bringing the work out of everyone you know I love kind of helping people do what they do best um I guess that's probably how I've ended up in teaching as well to, to some mm-hmm. degree. You know, I, I think that's what I enjoy is, you know, I'm happy to be the conduit, the, the person that puts all the pieces together to help those do what they do best. And so, so somebody likes it um and they're really excited
0: about it and they tell the agent and the agent tells you and you assume that within about 24 hours there's going to be an (laughs) auction or an offer or something really exciting so you sit down by your phone and you wait (laughs) (laughs) yeah nothing happens for many weeks and why is this
1: yeah this is the biggest thing that um the biggest question I always get asked and when I work with authors and illustrators and they say why is it so slow why is the whole thing so slow um, yeah, publishing is notoriously slow. I'm not in- entirely sure. I think, it, you know, it's people are doing so much. And they are always, always doing, you know, if you think when I was, um, you know, working in house, I had um, the books that were being published there and then, um, you know, that were coming out in the next few months that I was thinking about and managing, I had the books that were in um, rough stage, I had the books that were then moving into colour stage and then i was also thinking about those that i was commissioning ready for you know 2022 2023 um so you're constantly your mind is you know you're you're split over many many different projects you're balancing many different publishing years which are all in different stages yeah. um and then you you're waiting for the opportunity so you need to get all of your research up together you need to get all of your publishing um, strategy, um, competitor titles, your idea of where you're going to put this book in the market, all ready to take to an acquisitions meeting. Um, and these acquisitions meetings have the heads of, you know, all the te- all the departments, so head of sales, head of rights, um, the publishing director, the CEO sometimes. Um, and then you make your, you know, you make your case for the book, and you want to be as fully prepared as you can to go and make your case for the book. And you've got to do financial um and ls as well to go alongside that um, and that's all you know this is all still speculative at this stage someone might turn around and say oh no that's not for us um, at this stage so there's a lot of work and grounding that goes into because before an, an editor enters that acquisitions meeting you want to be as sure as possible that you you know that you are going to champion this book and that you've got all the information you need and that anyone's going to ask you a question you know you know how to kind of field that question. So not only
0: have you got to love it and understand it and really want to share it, but you've also got to work out how much it's going to cost to make it and produce it and get it into bookshops and how much profit you need to get out of that and all of that needs to have been sorted out before you go to the meeting
1: absolutely yeah so when you sit down in that acquisitions meeting you know you will have the head of finance there and they want to know what the you know what you're predicting that you have to pay in advance for this and thus what you predict the margin is going to be on this um and obviously you know we work on um, speculative costs at that point and that you know you you look at P&Ls for, for different um, scenarios um, but you know at the end of the day as we sort of started this conversation with you know it's a commercial business so um, no one's going to let you buy a, a, a stunning 24-page pop-up book um, that you're then going to only be able to sell for 8 99 and you know you're going to lose uh, thousands of pounds in the production process. So you, you get it through
0: sales. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you have to wait for that meeting to happen, which yep. uh, again
1: is is something that I eventually got my head around, made me feel a lot better. Yeah. they Yeah, those those meetings sometimes only happen, um, you know, I think ours was every two weeks. Um, so, you know, some publishers have them weekly, some, some bi-weekly, some even, you know, at, t- at tape because we were a small team, we only had it monthly. Right.
0: And then, and then... You, you decide to go for it. The, the author accepts the advance that you've offered. Um, and then I I, we've, I guess we've largely talked about the process of what happens next. Are there are there other things that you're thinking about when when you're guiding it through the process?
1: Um, if you're thinking about a picture book um, text that you want to buy, you're possibly also thinking about the illustration angle that you're going to take, the sort of illustrator you want to pair. Um the person up with, because again, that helps sales and marketing um, envisage the the book that you're trying to buy uh, that you want to commission. So um, there's all of that to think about. Um, and then there's the you know contractual side of things. Um, so once um, uh, an editor is ready to to make an offer, they've you know they've had the go ahead. Um, you need to draw up what's called a deal memo, which has all the different terms and the breakdowns of all the terms that you're offering um from your subsidiary rights um splits to the the kind of the home royalties the export royalties um you know who's who's going to have merchandise rights all of these kind of things um, and you you draw up a deal memo that then goes over to the agent um and then that's sort of where those negotiations begin um, I think this is where
0: I, I always recommend to, to writers when they get to that stage is to get an agent if they possibly yeah. can. Yeah. Because as, as a writer who hasn't been through the process before, getting those terms will be so meaningless and scary because <laughs> some of them are way more important than others. And something that can look incredibly minor can end up being incredibly important. Yeah. And I, I really do think that within, without an agent to talk you through... um. Yeah, it it can be it can be dangerous. You can you can end up giving something away that that actually will matter to you later on, or or even you can end up, um, you know, dying on a hill that is not that important. Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I had um, I had we had one um, negotiation where so there's um a subsidiary rights called um second serial rights and yeah serial rights are um where you uh, publish in part in newspapers. They were a lot bigger historically. I mean, if you think of Charles Dickens and how he published all of his works, that's that's in serial.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And that's that's where they come from. Um, and you still need them for biographies, especially kind of like political biographies. They often get serialised and things like that. Um, however, somebody tried to fight me over serial rights on a, um, a colouring book. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and so again, you know, you just, there's kind of so much historical, as there is with anything legal, any kind of legal contract, there's, there's many historical reasons why certain things are there, why things are there to protect you. Um, And I think, you know, if you can, if you, you know, if you're able, um, an agent to help you navigate those negotiations to just tell you, you know, what, what each one means and what the implication of each one is, um, is a really helpful thing. So yeah, there's a lot more to it than I <laughs>
0: ever understood. And then just as I thought I got my head around it in children's publishing, I moved into adult publishing where things are slightly different.
1: Each division, each area and, and aspect of publishing has its own um, kind of parameters that it's working within um and and so you will see changes you know even from publisher to publisher you see yeah, huge so huge changes in the way that they work and the way that they structure um how they acquire how they buy and how they publish
0: I'm so glad you said that yes I've noticed that with editors as, as well and again I'm sort of working across different publishing houses that I assumed there was the way of doing it Um, the way that you got your notes the way that um you would do a copy edit or something like that the way that even um speech marks would be used you know that that tiny sort of level and then oh no so you know one publishing house speech marks are sort of double quotation marks and in another one they're single um and uh, yeah and and who does the copy edit and how that is managed can vary massively so yeah almost any aspect of it is actually down to individual experience and individual taste. Yeah. Um, so um, that's a, it's a kind of useful thing to know as well. And also for a writer to know that if, if a way of working is not working for them... Um, I found this out the hard way, but I'm glad I know it now. It is worth gently and politely pushing back sometimes, of course, and yeah. saying, I, "I I completely understand that that you work this way, but please, can we just not? <laughs> because yeah. it's not doing it for me."
1: I, the first... I mean, I say to all my authors, I'm happy to work in whatever way suits, you know, you best. Um, you know, be that some authors I have um would rather not show me anything until they feel it's very polished. Others yes. want to show me something, you know, every every time they write, you know, a spread or something they want to show me is that, you know, is it working? And, you know, because it's a collaborative process, because the creative process is so individual, um, you know, I feel my my job as a, as an editor is to kind of um work within that parameter and, and help you achieve the best in the way that works um best for you as a writer
0: yes I'd, i i I've told the story before on pre published i'm sure but um i was working with bella pearson on um the book sort of two two or three or four actually before bigger picture um and and she gave me a whole bunch of notes and it was just too much and i i'd learnt by then to sort of do my little pushback thing and say I can't deal with this many notes all in one go. What can we do? And she was great because she then um, said, well, should we go out to lunch? and then we just talked about it yeah. and I took the notes she came armed with no notes at all at that point um, and she gave me as much as I could handle and then I wrote the notes and I gave them back to her so I was kind of more in charge of the process so I was just writing up what, what I thought we'd said and she was agreeing um, and that worked brilliantly for me yeah. I was really comfortable going with that and I was so grateful to her she, she didn't mind at all she just adapted and that's the way we worked from then on really and it was Absolutely. wonderful
1: never, never underestimate the the power of a phone call or a you know an in-person conversation either I think too much is done um via email and sometimes things get lost and and kind of what you're trying to say and and what you mean gets lost in in the kind of ether there so I always you know I'll I'll always um, generally try and have an editorial chat with my authors on the phone
0: yes I agree um in an indirect way that was prompting me um To ask another question, um, which is just to do with sort of percentages. So if you, let's say we've got to the sort of the structural edit of a book where we're really sort of still thinking about the the big building blocks of it and how they're working, how how much pushback do you think is reasonable from a writer? So we start at the extreme of they hate everything you say and they won't do anything. (laughs) That never goes down well. And the other extreme is they just roll over and take on everything you say without a murmur and mm-hmm. that would worry me too slightly as an editor thinking do they care about what they've written so do you have a sort of sense of what your parameters are for a reasonable amount of pushback
1: um no not necessarily i think it's whether i feel an author has stopped and considered why i've asked certain things yeah um why i've i've suggested that something isn't quite working or why i've asked them to revisit something i I sort of feel that I would like all of my comments to be given the care and consideration yeah. um and then if if something doesn't agree you know if, if if it doesn't quite you know work for you or there's something that you you're not happy about, then we have a conversation over those and I can explain to you why i wasn't getting what you wanted me to get from that that piece and we can say oh okay well you know i'm not happy with the way possibly you suggested that we do it but i could look at doing it like this or i could say you could say well actually this is supposed to be leading up to that and i could say oh okay well in that case why don't we put something in a couple of chapters earlier that preempts that um and I think it's things like that, you know, it, it's I, I I don't have a problem with pushback at all, as long as I feel it's been considered and we've talked about the reasons and we understand the effect that 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 line or that word is having. And we're OK with that. Um, it's when you get immediate, you know, I can't even look at this and I you know, it's it's too much. Um, and I would always say to an author, don't look at it all at once. you know. Track changes. Yes, <laughs> track changes is an amazing thing because it allows us to do what we want to do. But it's also aggressively read and um, looks horrific when you you first look at it. And take a step back when you get your edits and, and and break them all down because you know look at them one chapter at a time and and really ask yourself what is the author s- uh, what is the editor trying to say? What are they missing here? That I was trying to get across that isn't coming across, um, because I promise you, if the editor is missing it, a portion of your audience will be missing it too. And it's not that perhaps you know you need to change it or you need to um, you know get rid of it even. It can just be that it needs reframing or it it needs positioning somehow or it needs some kind of setup for it. Um, That's, you know, you've got to see your editor as the voice of your reader. And once a book is published and out on the shelves, the readers are going to read it and say what they're going to say about it. And they don't you don't have the option to respond. Um, The edit is your your chance to respond
0: yes i like that um i was having a similar conversation for this podcast with emma darwin recently um which listeners i'm sure will will hear or will have heard very similar yeah that, that was really nicely put thank you for that That's okay. um also i mean i remember in terms of track changes um I can't remember exactly which stage it was, whether it was a line edit or a copy edit, and there are all these different stages. But there was one time you know, I, you know, I glanced over at how many changes there were, and there were over 1,000. And, and it was a completely normal edit, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't unduly difficult to do. But I'm glad I didn't initially notice that there were 1,000, because it feels <laughs> like a really big number. Yeah. But, um, but yes, there, there, there will be many, and some of them will be really tweaky, and some of them will be really yeah. big. I mean, probably not in a tiny picture book, I'm guessing. A thousand might be quite a lot, but in no, a novel they would be. No,
1: absolutely. But, you know, you also remember sometimes you can just have 10 changes even and they can be so large and fundamentally flawed that they're far more impactful than, you know, 20 much smaller, you know, like, are you sure about this word? Would you think about changing it? Does this do the same connotation that you want? It, You know, the kind of number of comments is not the same as kind of the the content of them and what they're asking you to do so again don't look at it as a kind of mass you know take each one in its own right and and you know wait make your way through them change those that you agree with change those that you accept leave those that you don't and then write you know come back to those and give them due consideration of you know is there something you could do? Do you need to talk to the editor a little bit more to understand why they've said this or why they've written this down?
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I try and do mine in waves, just as you said. So I first I look at them and, I, and then I park them while my brain recovers. Um, and then, I, as you say, I start with the ones that I'm grateful for. Thank goodness somebody noticed that. That's brilliant. Yeah, and then I do that. I get it. I'm not quite sure how to do it. And there are always at least five that I hate. I just hate that that was even thought of. And I've learned over the years, um, you know, I'll come to them last and I will do what you said. You know, I'll really try and think through why did somebody say that? And I've learned that, you know, do you know what? I'll probably gratefully accept at least four of them (laughs) of the five. Um, by By the time I've really, really thought about it, there'll be very little at the end that I'm I'm still yeah. pushing back on but there'll be some things um where yeah well I'll, I'll just say I'll explain my character's point of view there and I'll tweak something else so that that other thing shines yeah.
1: more brightly perhaps and absolutely. and we'll agree that that fixes it absolutely and remember you know the, the the thing to say is that an editor's there to help you get the best out of your story um it's it's not their book it shouldn't be their book that you know they're there there to help you do the very best that you can do and so all of those queries and questions are to to kind of help you uh, you know strive um you know to kind of to push the book to the next stage or they they certainly should be so if there is something that you don't agree with or that doesn't sit comfortably and that doesn't feel right within the book you want to tell it's okay to say that and it's, it's yeah. perfectly legitimate to say that.
0: Great. I think on that note, we've, <laughs> we've covered everything <laughs> I wanted to cover today. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I always ask people if they have one last tip that they would like to give. I mean, you've given so many already, but do you have something that you always like to suggest to creative writing people?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think the thing I would suggest is um, please don't, ever be disheartened um I know it's a difficult industry and I know it's not as transparent as perhaps we within it think it is um but don't be disheartened because it's it's a such a diverse and um broad industry um there's so many fantastic things going on in publishing from you know from the houses at the top of the chain all the way to the independents um, and you will find your place and you will find your editor um, or, you know, the house that resonates with the work that you want to produce. Um, so, yeah. So I think I would say don't don't ever feel disheartened or, or give up or feel that there isn't a place for you within this wonderful um, and eclectic industry.
0: Oh, that's a lovely one. Yes. It only takes one person to love it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, Holly, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this evening. And thanks for persisting with, with the two that didn't
1: work. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a, you know, always a privilege to come and speak about something that you, you love.
0: I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Prepublished. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at PrePubPodcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com.